0: Hey, let's go. We're ready. Hey, we're in a series today. We're just gonna jump right in. We're in the vision series of 2021, and we so we talked last week about the vision of church on the rock, which is what. <laughs> this is why we need four weeks. Bring them in, raise them up, send them out. Let's say it again. Bring them in. Raise them up. Send them out. Yeah, let's go. Vision is destination that's where we're going that's where our church is going it was planted with this prayer it was planted with this in prayer at the beginning that we're going to bring people in raise equip heal and then plant and send amen and then mission is what (laughs) four weeks that's as good okay we're gonna get there Vision, destination, mission is the vehicle. Ours is a church van. It has four tires. I know this is stupid, but it will help you memorize it. Guys, if we have the slide, we can put them up. It's connecting to God, people, purpose, and hope. Can we say that? Turn to somebody left or around you and just tell them the same thing. Ready? One, two, three. Connecting to... Oh yeah, look at us, woo, killing it. Sunday morning, don't matter, we're here, we're here. <laughs> Last week we talked about connecting to God and how it's one of the, the first places you have to just start with, just connecting to God, right? Be with him, just get in his presence. We talked about Brother Lawrence and Dallas Word about practicing the presence of God, how spiritual practices puts us in the presence of God, how it's your responsibility To get into the presence of God. Not the pastors, not the altar team, not the worship team. It's your responsibility to get into the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Dallas Willard said it this way. The first and most basic thing we can do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass const- constantly returns to the north. Another way to say it is, get into God's presence and stay there. This week we're continuing with this series on mission and vision, and we're talking about connecting to people this week. But we're talking about it from a different angle. Because if you remember about February, beginning of this year, we did a whole series on community. We did a whole series on connecting to people. And so this today is a little bit different than what we talked about earlier in the year. And so we're going to be talking about connecting to people. And you know, we're in the process of becoming. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, about change. And there was a big word. Do you remember what that word was? Not salvation, but... Sanctification, the process of changing, becoming who God wants us to be, becoming into His righteousness, becoming into His holiness. And so we're talking today about becoming and the role that the community has in that process. Before we go any farther, let's pause. Let me breathe, because I'm almost out of breath already, and let's just pray. If you would, just extend your hand out just right, just right in front of you. Nothing weird's going to happen. <laughs> Father, we believe you're here today. God, I believe that you had a word before we even started working on this one, Father. I believe, God, you've been speaking to us throughout the week and that you've been speaking to us in worship, in the tithe, in the announcements. God, I believe that you're speaking to us in the lobby as we greet each other as we came in today. Lord, we just give pause for a second. Holy Spirit, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this first part we need to go over, and we've talked about this before, and uh, we adopted this uh, teaching from Bridgetown Church, and we had their permission to use their graphs and stuff, but this is just some really powerful teaching. I want to remind you and bring it back in front of you uh, because it kind of sets the trajectory of where we're going in our becoming process. And so, this word that we talked about change and sanctification, another word for that is spiritual formation. Okay? And so there's a couple graphs we have for you, and the first one's called unintentional formation. And this is the idea. Really quick, before we get any farther, is I want you to think of somebody older than you. Don't point around the room. Don't point left or right, because this is going to go one or two ways, but just think of somebody that's older than you. Okay, I'm going to assume you got them. So now start thinking about the characteristics. How do you define them? Why did you even pick them? When you start thinking of that person, what, what attributes do you see? Maybe as a grandparent or a parent. Maybe there's something. What's something in them that you would want to model yourself? And the idea is this, is that that person did not just become who they are randomly. They did not become, whether they're not they're joyful and exciting and just that grandpa-grandma hug, or maybe they're old and curmudgeon okay? There's something that happened to cause them to become that person. They didn't just happen by chance. Nora, uh, yesterday, was getting really frustrated. She just threw her pen, threw her paper on the floor, and was just really frustrated about her drawing. She's drawing, I think, the family or some people or something, and she's just, I can't get it, I can't get it how I want it. I was like, Nora, remember like a year ago, you were drawing people and they just look like potatoes with faces? Look, now they have stick arms and stick legs. Look, it's becoming, right? You're, you're changing. It's getting better. Something happens, but that didn't happen just from going drawing potatoes to a potato with legs and arms just overnight. It took lots of lots of pictures on our fridge that we threw away incognito, okay? Lots of drawings, lots of things that happen time and time again of practice. And we are becoming people life is not static it changes and so we are in the process of becoming and so unintentional spiritual formation guys if we have that you can put that up there and so this is a quick little diagram is a, a way that we that we can kind of think about this unintentional and so it's broken down into a couple of different things we're all becoming whether or not we realize it or not And this is a helpful way to think about it. And so unintentional spiritual formation, we're formed by the stories we believe. Whether or not they're true or not, we are formed by the stories we believe. Minimalism is a story. Christianity is a story. Atheism is a story. Islam is a story. These are all stories, things that we've been told and that we believe that shape our life. And they don't necessarily have to be true. It's just the things that we believe about the world and about our life. And next is we have relationships. And there's this old adage that uh, bad company corrupts good character. And that's actually the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And they're quoting somebody is that the people you surround yourself with will change you. The relationships you have will have an effect on you right? And I think I've maybe said this story before, but I can't remember, is that for about a year, I lived in Mississippi. I lived in Mississippi for about a year. And uh, it was like middle of Mississippi, pretty deep, pretty secluded community, and some pretty hardcore southern accents going on, okay? Like to the point where it took me about a month for the old timers to like Oh, those were real words. I I caught boy, and I caught Yankee, and I caught something else I can't say. But, okay, those were words, okay? And so real deep southern accents. And then I had a buddy that I was living with, uh, a roommate and a guy I hung out with all the time, worked with, and really great guy, but he had a lisp. And so we'd been in Mississippi for about three, four months or something, I went home, and, my, and I said, you know, greeting my family and everything. And very quickly, they said, Josh, what are you doing? I said, what? And they said, why are you speaking with a southern lisp? <laughs> the relationships you surround yourself with will change and form you. So the stories we believe, the relationships we hold, and lastly, the habits that we put in place. The idea is that what you do is shaping who you are. A one time decision or a one time action can become a habit, which can become a lifestyle and part of your character. Uh, this is another s- silly example, not really spiritual, but you know, I, I remember when I first got into coffee. I remember my first love. It was called the London Fog at Coffee Divine. And it it was milk and sugar and caramel and just an essence of coffee, like just the smell. Like I don't think there was actually coffee in it, but they kind of wafted it in there, okay? And I was like, I don't know, a freshman or something in high school. I remember that experience and just loving that. And then that decision of getting those I remember a little bit later when I went camping for, and I went camping with my family and I was, I think, 15. I remember Michelle Stoffel, I was sitting by the fire and she handed me a cup of coffee with cream and sugar in it. And I felt like a man for the first time. <laughs> sitting by a raging fire, women serving me coffee. I was just, and then I was also like, hey, Olivia, get off my scooter. Like I was still like yelling at my siblings, not quite a man yet. But like, I remember that. And then all the way until today, where water temperature, grind size, beans of origin, how you make it, brew recipes are all important things to me. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter your spiritual. But that's a little decision that started when I was young and again and again and again. And it's shaped who I am. A big part of the first thing that Amy and I do when we go traveling anywhere is immediately look up local coffee roasters. It is part of our life. And so habits, the things that we do, uh, will shape us. And all of this is wrapped around our environment. The environment that you are in will shape who you become. And for us, this happens to be a suburban kind of uh, outside of Chicago area. Or maybe it's the things that we, you uh, flood yourself with your phone every day. That can be your environment. But all of those things start taking on and start changing you and you become formed and you're on your process and on your way to becoming a person and this is unintentional spiritual formation and so again it's the stories we we can put that we can just leave those up for a little bit the stories we tell ourselves with the habits that we live our lives with what's the other one relationships I knew that I'm just testing you relationships that we give our lives to, all surrounded by environment, you are becoming a person. Not intentionally, but you are becoming a person. You know, if I choose to eat all of my kids' Halloween candy, which I think there's about 50 pounds, I'm not trying to make my body go way up in sugar and stuff, but unintentionally, it just happened, you know? It just just happened, it was there, it was in my environment. Stories I tell myself, it's just like, it's not like a full size bar. Like 10 of these is probably only like half of a regular size bar, right? And my wife's doing it too, so it must be fine, right? And so all of a sudden, 50 pounds is like more like 10 pounds and I don't know where it went. And all of this is in contrast to intentional spiritual formation. And we can put that next slide up. An intentional spiritual formation is kind of what we're about as Christians, kind of what we're about as disciples. And, and we, we've talked about the way of Jesus often. And uh, 1 John two six says, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And so this is this whole idea of just the way of Jesus, that Jesus came to stand the way, the truth, and the life, that there is a way to live. There is a, a certain way that we should model our lives. And I believe that this, this structure, of in, intentional spiritual formation, is the way that we will become the church and the people of Jesus Christ. And so instead, it changes, a few, it changes the words around a little bit. And so instead of the stories we believe, it's teaching. And this comes from Sunday Morning Bible. It comes from the podcast we listen to. It comes from your own time of spending time with God and in the Word. First John also talks about the Holy Spirit's in you, and he teaches you all the truth. You don't need people. He's there, right there, teaching you, confirming truth to you. And so there's this, holy, there's this teaching is that, first of all, we have input not from the things we believe but from a, a, a truth. We have a commonality of saying that the Bible is true, and I'm going to use this as the baseline to to, uh, direct and form me as a person and my life. And then next, we replace relationships with community. And it's our our firm belief is that the call to the way of Jesus, when Jesus went to the river and he went to the market and he said, Peter, follow me, follow me follow me all these people follow me follow me it was simultaneously a call to jesus but a call to community jesus lived his whole he lived his life in a moving traveling community called the disciples and all day long he was with the 12 and with more than that and with the crowds and you see him living his life doing life spending the day to day functions of life in community and whether you like it or not, that's just the example. That's, the, that's the, the graph that we get is that we change in the context of community. Next is practice. And so this is kind of touching into last week of connecting to God, but this is the idea that there are spiritual practices or disciplines or, uh, or things that Jesus did that we can model, that if we start doing those, we will index our character to become like him. And so this is why we spend time, I think we've talked about Sabbath, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about Bible reading, we've talked about a lot of these things. Fasting, every year we start the year off with a, a 21 days of prayer and fasting. We, we put model these things that Jesus did and try to live them out every day. And so we really believe that if you're finding your teaching from the Bible and you're trying to practice those things and you're putting them in the context of community and the surrounding factor here instead of our environment is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is doing something inside of you, things you may even not even know. If you got saved and you came from a rougher life beforehand, you might have noticed that all of a sudden the attraction of some of the things that you did beforehand stopped being so attractive, All of a sudden, you had to start cutting some of the relationships or some of the getting out of the environment you're in because the Holy Spirit is calling you and pulling you out of that and pulling you into the thing you should be. And so this is intentional spiritual formation, is that I actually want to become like Jesus. I I want to index my character to be like him. And so if I spend the time in committed community, then I'll grow. If I spend the time trying to... uh, develop my prayer life and my scripture reading life and my fasting and my Sabbath, and my rest, and all these different things, then I'll grow. And if I'm finding it from the word and it's all centered on the Holy Spirit, I believe we'll become like the people, people of Jesus Christ. The idea of spiritual formation at its base level looks like a commitment to practice the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. We believe that Jesus is the way of life, a whole new way to live And be human in God's world. Joanna Weaver says this. She said, Jesus didn't want to make bad people better. He came to transform us into something entirely new. We're not just a better version of our sinful self. We're an entirely new person. And we went pretty hard into that depth of character and that change in sanctification sermon. But you are a completely new person in Jesus Christ. In that change, though happens again in the context of of community. And so that's what we're spending the rest of time today is talking about connecting to people and why it's so important, why it matters in our lives, why it's part of our mission, why, and again, the vision is the destination. The mission is how we're going to reach the destination, how we're going to bring people in, how we're going to raise them up, how we're going to send them out is by spending time with God, spending time in community, Spending time finding our purpose and living that out and spending time spreading the hope of Jesus Christ in this community and our world, okay? That's how we're going to accomplish it. So today we're looking at connecting to people or living our lives in community. Spiritual formation is a heart matter. It's not an action. And so I could go through the motions. I mean, growing up, I had prayer time that was scheduled into my life of, uh, I mean, not by me, but by my mom, and she would say from, you know, 7 o'clock you wake up and pray, and before you go to, go to bed you would pray. And so I went through the motion of on my knees, hands together, but do you know how much of that time percentage-wise was just sleeping? Like, Mom, I just need more of the Holy Spirit, and I'm just, like, just sleeping. I can go through the actions, but that's not what God's after. He's after your heart. And so the heart directs the the way you live your life. And so God's about changing the heart, not necessarily changing about the outside appearance or the outside actions. That will follow the heart change. And the way that we change is in loving connection to other people who love Jesus. I've had my moments of change and encounter with God. The very first time that I received, or not, sorry, when I received salvation, the biggest change of all occurred. But then my development and my process of becoming like Jesus was always with other people. Whether it was a coffee conversation over coffee or was Dan Cooper telling me that if you don't get your act together, I'm kicking you out of my school. Okay, because you need some people like that. They're going to speak truth to you. It was always in the context of relationship. I remember uh, when I was in uh, ministry school, I had this one roommate who said, hey, I have these four things and I can't remember what they are now. But, and he said, you have these four things that you gotta work through. He said, every day, let's just talk at the end of the night and just see how we did with, with anger, with, uh, I, I can't remember the other ones. I remember one of them was Abby, because he liked a girl named Abby and I liked a girl named Abby. We both knew we were, were not supposed to be dating them. And so we would check in every single day. He was in the same spot I was, just growing, developing, still just new to this Christian faith thing. But in the context of relationship with two people that love Jesus, love each other, we started trying to help each other to become more like Jesus. When Jesus would teach the crowds, he often taught. Actually, Scripture says always we would teach in stories and parables. And it was confusing to people. He would tell the crowds all these big stories and stuff, but then when the crowds dispersed, the disciples would gather around, and they said, Master, what did you mean? In the context of community, he would start explaining the parables to them. Jesus modeled change in connecting to people. Uh, An article from the Nav Press uh, Christian website, it it says this that I found this week. It says, We know all too well that maturity takes time. We know less well that it takes our our sisters and brothers in Christ. It's a process that is revealed in the each other language of the New Testament. Love one another. Forgive each other. Regard each other more highly than yourselves. Teach and correct each other. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. Bear each other's burdens. Be friends with one another. Kind, compassionate, generous, and hospitality. Serve one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this list just scratches the surface, but it's enough to remind us that, the need, that we need the community of faith to grow up in Christ. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in the church There's a lot of things that happen in church. Discipleship happens in the church, planting and sending, worship. uh, all, All these things happen in the church, and there's lots more than that. But all of them happen in the context of relationship. Discipleship is relational. Worshiping up here is relational between you and God. Everything that we do is in the context of building healthy relationships with other people it's the most frustrating thing about ministry, but it's the whole point of ministry. I was talking to Jeff today that life would be really easy if we didn't have to work with people. Amen, Jeff? Yeah, okay. Think about how much less angry we would be if there wasn't that person that was always just frustrating you, pushing your buttons and stuff. But the whole reason that Jesus came was to restore relationship with us to the Father and us to each other. We're going to get back to that. We're going to get down to that a little bit more later, but Right now, I'm just trying to set up ideas that change and your transformation happens in community. We see this played out on the early church, and of course, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 2 in a little bit, but that's a little bit farther down. But here, I just want to quote three, three pastors. Well, actually, one professor and two pastors. And these guys are the guys that, um, if I could say I've tried to model um, church work around, it's... It's these three guys. And the first is John Ortberg. He says, In community, we discover who we really are and how much transformation we still require. This is why I'm irrevocably committed to small groups. Through them, we can accomplish our God-entrusted work to transform human beings. Eugene Peterson says it this way. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in an embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. And lastly, Dallas Willard says, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer, a most glorious inhabitant. Hopefully you're getting this idea set in you right now of how important, how, mu- how vital it is to connect to people. How much you need community in your life. And again, I did a three-week whole series on this at the beginning of the year. I encourage you to go back to that and listen. We go a lot more in depth of what it does to you. But today is mostly just a reminder of get into community. You need people around you. You need people not just hanging out and that you can just fellowship together, eating food or whatever, but people that know you and you know them. Community is a place of starting to tear aside the masks and walls we put up and start to being let, let, letting people know us and actually taking the step to start knowing them. Community is not just a party, it's not just a social gathering, it's not a help group or just a movement, it's something much, much more special. So what sets us apart? What sets us apart from a Blackhawks fan club? What sets us apart from a bunch of people that gather to do quilts? I I don't know. I'm just thinking about groups right now, okay? What sets us apart from hanging out with your college friends and playing Call of Duty on a Thursday night? What makes the church community different? What makes it so set apart? You know that we've been, been set apart by God since the beginning. And so 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into, the light, into his wonderful light. And all he's doing right here is quoting Exodus. He's quoting Exodus 9, 5 through 6, where God says, again, you're special treasure among all the peoples on earth. You'll be my kingdom my, of priests, my holy nation. And he's just saying this word, of this phrase of holy and set apart. And that word holy is the hagios, which means separate or set apart for a special purpose. And so we have a holy coffee pot. It's set apart for a special purpose. No tea, no hot chocolate Aiden, no ramen noodle water. Okay, I don't know if you're in that stage of life, but our coffee pot is set apart, separate than the other devices, for coffee. Amen? Don't amen that. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> but you, me, our community, the church has been set apart for a specific purpose. Our church was set apart for God's purpose, a special possession. And so I love how Matthew five fourteen fifteen 15 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Leviticus 10 talks about this idea of separating the common from the sacred. And so God, throughout the Israel's history, as he's leading his people, leading his people, he's always bringing them back to be separate from the culture. Be separate from the surroundings. Don't, don't intermix. Don't, don't marry outside of the church. Don't, don't go and do s- these other jobs. Don't Be set apart. Be set apart. Be set apart. And it's this idea of pulling us apart and setting us apart for this special purpose. Because every time you see Israel has pr- this propensity to bring the normal culture in, to start idolizing the people around you, the normal things. And you see this propensity, and whenever that happens, they stop worshiping God. They start worshiping the gods of the cultural relevant time. So they start worshiping the things everybody else is worshiping. And they start worshiping the focusing on the things that everybody else is focusing on. And this is the whole, you get into the kings and why they wanted a king, they wanted a king, they wanted a king. God's like, I'm your king. But they kept coming back. No, I want to be normal. I want to be relevant. God's actually called us to be different, to be set apart, to be a city on a hill, a light to the world. But our current church culture, the Midwestern church, has been built on the most recently, starting in the 70s and 80s, on the idea of not being different but being culturally relevant. We succumb to the lie of being a seeker-friendly church. We're probably pretty familiar with the idea, and I don't have anything against big churches or against that model if it goes deeper than that. But the idea is if you stop right there and you're just trying to build a church to get a lot of people out on a Sunday morning, you're missing the set-apart phrase. The idea is is that we're becoming really cool. Let's just be palatable. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not talk about some of those things that are really sensitive, like divorce or being gay or uh, doing, separating my lifestyle or the uncomfortable things about giving money to the church. Let's, let's just, let's, we've made the gospel palatable. We've taken the focus off of being set apart and we go back to, well, they're doing it, so why don't we do it and then we'll grow. But God was never concerned about that. He was concerned about setting a distinct line in the sand of saying, you are the church. You are my people. Set yourself apart. Don't intermix. Corinthians six fourteen says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wicked? How can the light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, "I will live in them, walk among them, I will be their God; they will be my people." And it comes this idea of being a thermostat or a thermometer. A thermometer just adjusts to the environment around them. We're at Thanksgiving's nigh upon us. Turkeys are crying all around the world, and so we're going to grab those turkeys and we're going to stick our thermometer in them, and know that it'll adjust to the temperature of the bird. And it's such an easy thing to fall into the trap of just trying to adjust to the people around us to be comfortable. But God set the church apart, set His people apart to actually adjust the environment. Be a thermostat, set the standard. Because you know the thing is is that the world, people that don't know God, the unbelievers or whatever you want to say it, they're looking for happiness. They're looking for peace. they're looking for safety. They're looking for stability. They're looking for healing from wounds. And they're running to all the things that will not suffice. If I buy this, maybe I'll feel better. If I numb this, then I won't have to feel it at all. That's not what we're doing. God said he set our church, he set our city, he set us as as a light on a hill to be a beacon to those around us. And so I don't want you to get this idea that walking away from this is that Josh is saying that we're supposed to just shun unbelievers. We're supposed to shun the world, right? That same first John is the same famous verse we say, be in the world, but not of the world. You're supposed to be around people. Jesus said, I came for the sick. And he spent all of his time, not with the holy religious people, but with all the people that were the outcasts of society. The prostitutes and the thieves and the, uh, the tax collectors. He spent all of his time with the people that we would deem as the outcasts of the society. The, low, the t- lowest tier. We're not called to, to not be around people that don't love Jesus. That's a cult. We're not about that. If we ask you to drink Kool-Aid, don't do that. That's the time to go someplace else. But we do have the message, we do have been set apart, we have something inside of us that is worth sharing. That verse, sorry, I don't remember where it is. I think it was 1 Corinthians. Uh, Sorry, Matthew 5, that same... Uh, no one lights a lamp but puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deed shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When we act differently than what the normal response is, you draw attraction to you. You draw attention to you. And then you're able to shift that attention, not onto you but to the person who gave it to you. If I respond on Facebook how my aunts and everybody else is responding on Facebook, I'm going to draw the kind of attention that I shouldn't be drawing. Did you see that pastor? Did you see that Christian? I thought he was, I thought he went to church. Did you see what he said? Woo! Copy and paste and share. (laughs) Can we be people that go out... In the world, but not succumbing to it. Can we be a community? And you can't, you know, I I really question if you could do that on your own. I, I had a deep desire to please God most of my life. But you know, for probably half of my life, I really failed in that. Instead of being a thermometer, I went into my friend groups, into my work environments, into the, my classes at uh, secular college and stuff, and just adapted to the environment around me. I remember I, I had no I, no desire to smoke, but when I was 17 years old, uh, I was working at two different restaurants, and I was working construction, and everybody smoked. And so instead of being that person that, not that smoking is like, I, whatever, but instead of just sitting aside and being different, I was like, they're smoking, he's smoking, they're smoking, they also get 15 minutes of a break, I'm going to start smoking. And so for about a year, I smoked Marble Reds, Cowboy Killers. But when I was 19, I had a real encounter with God, because I was living a life out of fear. And then at 19, I had a real encounter with God that was love-based, and everything in my life changed cuz i was no longer working out of ooh, i was no longer working out of a place of fear an angry dad that's going to slap my hands i was working out of a place of love and that changes everything if you can live your life in a community of love it changes everything you know what happens when you're in community you start fighting You know what happens when you take your mask down and you start letting people see who you are? You start irritating each other. Families, this is the the prime example of it. Could you do what you do to your siblings to anybody else and still be friends? (laughs) No. But this undercurrent of love in the family that's implied there that just keeps you together when you're at your worst, and also when you're at your best. We just went way off the notes there. So we're going <laughs> to the This is where we're going. And so what is that thing? We're set apart. We're, not, we're in the world, not of the world. What is that thing that separates us? It's that God created the Christian world. God created his followers, and he gives this family language, language behind it. You start entering the body of Christ. At the moment of salvation, you have brother and sister, God the Father. And so, again, I'm going to say it one more time. This is the last time. We have a whole sermon series on the church's family. So go back and listen to that. I'm not going to go deep into it now. But I want to turn your attention to Acts chapter 2. I promised you that we would be there. Acts chapter 2. Probably most of us can recite this by heart. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. Um, A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, sold their property, possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And what I get out of these verses, reading through them around this time, is that there's this shared, 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 shared there's a shared life, they shared their needs, they shared their property, they shared prayer, they shared teaching together. And underneath all of that is this, this idea of love. I said, I told you I was in Mississippi earlier in the sermon. I lived there and I was in Pennsylvania first for a year. And we worked at this uh, spiritual retreat center, Christian camp, there was a discipleship program. We had about 30 students. In my second year, they planted a ministry. They went to join another ministry in Mississippi, and they asked all of us, does anybody want to stick around? We're going to go plant this ministry. So me and five other students of the 30 said, well, we want to go. We want to sign up. And the five that came with us, uh, I probably would have picked all five of them last to come with us because I didn't like any of them. Like they were fine people, loved Jesus, but they just had like an annoying laugh or I just didn't like understand like Bitcoin or I don't know, like I just didn't get it. Like it just wasn't clicking. I didn't like them. But you know what came out of living with them (laughs) in a dorm and in a trailer and in other places for a whole year because they moved us around like crazy is that I learned to love them. You do not have to like somebody to love them. The thing that draws us all here is that cross. But how many people want to go home and uh, play like Apex or Call of Duty with me? Probably not. <laughs> Thanks, Elijah. I was a youth pastor in a former life, like a month ago. So that's what I used to do. <laughs> so all the teenage guys are going to play with. That's great. There's things in here that we do not have commonality over that you will actually just dislike somebody. And the more and more you get into a relationship with people, those dislikes will come out. But what keeps you together is learning to love them, learning to talk through the differences, learning to communicate, learning to say, I will bear your burden. I will bear you. You're my burden right now. But I will bear you because I love you, and I'm going to stick with you. I'm not going to let it go. And so the thing, the undercurrent that puts the church, the family of God apart from the world is the love of God. John 13, 33, he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. This is Jesus. You will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. And this is actually a quote. It's not. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. As Jesus was preparing to leave his earthly ministry, the command that he gives us is to be known by our love. Amy's uh, mom and dad are here together, and Amy told me that growing up, would, I don't remember the song, but she'd always sing whenever the kids were like punching each other in the backseat and getting restless, they will know us by our love. There's a song, I don't know the song at all, but apparently there's a song about it. Can we be known, not by our rantings, not by our spiritual convictions, not by our standards, but can we be known by our love? Would our neighbors, would our family, would our coworkers at work be able to identify us as a Christian if we didn't have the little plaque in our cubicle or the live, love, good signs in our kitchens, okay? Would they be able to identify us? What's the light? The light is love. God called us and separated us for his purpose, and his purpose was to create a community of love. And love is inviting, but it's love and truth. Ephesians talks about that, that we're able to not just bring you in, say, hey, come on over, but there's also in the context of community, in the context of relationship, you start getting space to speak into somebody's life. If I go up to a random stranger and just say, you're living in sin, I saw you do this and that's wrong, do you think they're going to receive that? mm Probably get a fair few words I can't share here and tell me to get away, as they should. But somebody that's been coming into my small group or I serve with them here at church or they come over on the Friday and Saturday and hang out and play games for a year. You know what I what, you know what platform I get to speak into their life? A whole lot more. If you're married, your spouse has probably shared things with you that you've received that you wouldn't receive from any other person. Because of the relationship of love. Love gives us a window and opportunity to speak truth into somebody's life that we would not have had the opportunity beforehand pastor joe next week is coming up and he's going to be preaching on connecting to hope and spreading the gospel spreading the evangelism the church the passion to do that but i wonder if we weren't working to just get somebody to pray the prayer if our focus was just to love somebody how much more naturally that would come now, evangelism has a place, don't get me wrong, and Pastor Joe is going to bring an awesome word next week. Do not miss that. I'm coming, showing up to take notes from Pastor Joe. He's a uh, evangelist pro. Right, Joe? <laughs> He's going to kill it. Hey, John Ortberg again, just one more quote. He says, there's something about the way, worship team, you guys can start coming up. He said, there's something about the way when you start grilling that those little briquettes, When you construct them, put them together, the fire glows and they get real hot. If you isolate one, it cools off real quickly. It loses the fire. But when they stick together, there's fire because they feed off of each other. God designed them to work that way. You can love somebody. You can be on passionate and on fire for God. But if you get yourself isolated and outside of the community of God, you will cool off. You were not made to be a lone wolf. You were not made to have a solo ministry. You were made to be in community with other people. Paul, he traveled and planted all these churches, but he still traveled in relationship. Man, I long to see you. I I desire to be with you. I'm coming to you, or I'm sending this person, or send me that person, or send me my cloak, whatever. He just longed to be with people. And so discipleship and evangelism and mentoring and coffee shops and shoe boxes and all those things happen in church. But they happen in the context of loving relationship. Church, we've been set apart, but we've been set apart and marked as the family of God and marked by the love of God. know i think we're gonna to have to call it there <laughs> i had about one more page of notes but i think i think we're supposed to just rest right here we're gonna do communion today and so actually altar workers you can start preparing and uh be ready if you did not get a communion cup just put your hand in the air and the altar team and they can grab you or sorry the the um uh good vibe tribe will grab you altar team You guys can come forward, though. You can come up to the front and the sides. Where do we start with this? Where do we start connecting? So we have systems in the church. And keep your hands up if you need a a cup still. We have systems in the church. We're just about to end our fall small groups January, we'll create prayer pockets again. March, we'll kick off our spring small groups. But some of us just need to connect with somebody. Some of us just need to invite the person that you don't know very well, but you know well enough that when you come in, they sit in front of you and you kind of nod your head like, hey, 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 is it Joe or Jam or something? I don't know. But you do like kind of know the name. Invite them to Culver's after church. Invite them to your house for dinner. Go out to Hart's Garage. It might just start there. And community starts with taking your mask off. We've been so accustomed and so trained that we're not real with people. And so the first place to start might just be is finding somebody you can trust and taking a step of faith and just saying, how are you? Can we go get coffee sometime? And then, how are you? Well, actually, I'm really struggling with this. Or I'm I'm really learning this. Or Josh said something really weird last week, and I'm still trying to figure out where it says that in Scripture, and I don't understand. It starts with that. Remove the mask. Let somebody into your life. I wonder how many of us would say, nobody really knows me. Nobody really knows me. And if they, if they do hang out with me, they, they just put up with me. I wonder if they actually really like me. It may require you taking that first step and be willing to lay aside your mask, put down the wall, and let somebody, invite somebody into your life. Guys,